Welcome to Old School, New School, a podcast in which we reverse engineer success stories through the lens of education. I'm Noah Waspy. I'm here with Tracy Gates, principal of Claren Academy in Vancouver, BC. Tracy, today I talked to Catherine, the founder of this school, the executive director of the school, about why she would start a school and what it was in her education that led up to that. One of the things that we uncovered was the importance of knowing your students well enough so that you can meet them where they are. And what's the difference between accelerating or accelerated classes and giving students what they need? In your experience as principal, do you have anything to say about that whole idea? Yeah, I think one of the the most important factors in whether or not a child will succeed in your classroom and in your school is if you have a connection with them, how well you know that student as a, as a little human being. Um, I think sometimes we get so focused on the academics and uh, if that child is succeeding in reading and writing and math and, and those sorts of things, which is much easier to measure, we forget that there's a whole other social-emotional side to a child that needs to be addressed before they can be successful. The brain can't be ready to learn until it's calm and happy and, and, and open to mm -hmm. receive the information and do the hard work that, mm -hmm. that critical and creative thinking takes. And you need to have um, not just a classroom, but you do really need to have a school full of people who see your child, who recognize their strengths and their challenges, who can capitalize on those um, little things that make them unique, and recognize when they're struggling and, and, and recognize when um, they might need some support. And I do think that because we're small, and because we have small groupings in different academic areas, the children have an opportunity to connect with more than just their classroom teacher. Um, when we walk in the hallways, we know every child's name, we know their sisters, we even mm -hmm. the, the siblings that might be at home, we know their story as well. And you can say hello to every child and they will have some kind of connection with you because they will have crossed your path during that day in some capacity. And I think that that lends itself to an environment where kids feel seen. And more than anything else, that's what we want as human beings. We want to be seen. I think what you're talking about has a special connection to Catherine's story and what led her through her education path and what led to the creation of this school. So let's check it out. Here's my interview with Catherine Sykes. What was, like, I, I get that there are some things that you weren't seeing your kids getting in school and that was definitely I'm sure that was the ma the biggest impetus but was there anything in your own education that drove the decision like what was it about if you hadn't experienced school you might not have known to look out for some of the things that Sam wasn't getting is mm -hmm. probably yeah. what I'm leading the witness toward. <laughs> <laughs> there, well there's two ways I can get to an answer there first of all um First of all, I was looking around at the world, and this was back in 2015, and already seeing that the skills that we had been trained for and valued were already being automated. Mm -hmm. And I was quite inspired by um, the writing of Yang Zhao, you know, mm -hmm. never send a, a human to do a machine's job. Um, and I was really uh, focused on that in terms of 
um, training our kids to do things that robots can already do better. And I remember around the time that we were thinking of starting the school, I heard a quote that's really stuck with me, really dug into my brain, that was, um, do not restrict your children to your own learning, for they were born in a different time. And I don't know what culture that's originally from. So if anybody knows, leave it in the comments. <laughs> but um, but that said, there was that. There was the aspect of, like, why are we training our kids to do things that were valuable during the Industrial Revolution? But there was also, for me, I feel like going through school and going through my education, a lot of what um, the theme that comes out for me is that Nobody really stopped me and asked me why I was doing what I was doing and where I wanted to end up with it. School was extremely easy for me. I'm a very typical, rewarded learner in terms of um, I read fast, I write well, grammar and spelling is extremely easy to me. Um, I'm motivated by praise. So, you know, I was a model student. You're doing student. a good job so far, thank by the you, way. Thank you, thank you, Noah. Give me more. Um, <laughs> <laughs> also, give me snacks. Um, but anyhow, <laughs> so for me, you know, elementary school, high school were extremely easy. I'm not going to say they were easy socially because uh, I didn't fit in fantastically in the little town I grew up in. But in terms of academics... I could always get lost in a book. Um, everything came very easily to me, and I was quite cocky about it. And I was one of those smart kids that just has not, you know, I just didn't get challenged mm -hmm. until I remember very clearly grade 12. Well, for one thing, I opted out of things I thought were going to be hard, which is a classic smart kid move. I didn't do physics because I heard physics was hard, and so I just didn't do it. Mm -hmm. I did do math 12 because it was sort of a badge of honor for me, and... The Math 12 Provincial at the end of the year was the first time I've ever bombed a test. And mm -hmm. I knew going into it that I was going to bomb it because I hadn't actually encoded the concepts through the year. I'd managed to regurgitate them for tests, but I hadn't ever really understood it. So when we came to the end of the year and uh, it was time to pull it all back out of my brain for the Provincial, it was not there. And mm -hmm. it was my first experience failing mm -hmm. at really anything and it was crushing. And the response then going forward was I never did another math class of any kind in my life. I even limited my choices in university. I didn't do statistics because I was sure that it would be hard. So I didn't do it, which quite limited my career choices. But um, I went through university. I did things that were easy again. And I never really had much thought for mm -hmm. where I was going career wise. And so with my kids... Um, and with everyone's kids, I want them to stop and think about why they're doing what they're doing, mm -hmm. who it's helping, how it's making them feel, whether they're good at it, what would make them better at it, um, and what sort of gratification they're getting, and, and just be mindful of what they're doing and why they're doing it. Because I just, school was easy for me. Mm -hmm. I took the easy path, and not to say that, you know, I was failed in mm -hmm. any way, but but I never really stopped and thought about what I was doing. Were all the subjects easy for you? Um, not gym, which probably <laughs> isn't surprising. Um, but English, I was a star at mm -hmm. um, to the point that I probably made some of my teachers really mad because I would openly do very little work and pass with flying colors, that kind of thing. Um, social studies, French, I loved French, um, drama, music. Um, what about math? 
math until grade 11, I was okay. Mm -hmm. And then in grade 12, I wasn't understanding it and I didn't know how to ask for help. Was it, what level of math was it? Because you said that you avoided certain hard classes. So you you were okay up until algebra? Yeah. I'm um, going somewhere with it, I promise. Yeah, I don't really remember, honestly, because I just didn't ever look it in the face afterwards. Uh Like I didn't look at where I got hung up. I just convinced myself that it wasn't worth it, which I know now is a classic smart kid move yeah it's just that some math it's more uh algorithm plug in the numbers you memorize these things you can do the math and then some of the math it's um i hope that you learned how all this stuff works because now we're going to do stuff that you haven't memorized yet yeah and also you know having different math teachers along the way and some of them covering some things and some of them not i'm sure Mm -hmm. there were gaps but i also just didn't have the um, it's actually a confidence to put my hand up and say, listen, I'm not getting this. Mm-hmm. I just faked it. Mm-hmm. And then it eventually comes home to roost. Yeah. Um, another thing that I've looked more at looking back to is, you know, what I thought was sort of superiority in myself. A lot of it was privilege. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a um, very lucky person in terms mm-hmm. of, uh, the family I came from, the town I grew up in, mm-hmm. the assets that I've had, and I definitely didn't look that in the face until I sure. was older. I think one thing that happens, like there's another kind of privilege. There's parents who read to their kids privilege. Totally, yeah. Both of my parents went and to your university. Mom's a teacher. Yeah, my mom's a teacher. <laughs> Both my parents went to university. My older brother went to university. Yeah. It's definitely um, generational privilege yes. there. Like in one of the books, I can't, I wish I could cite the source better than that, but in one of the books, um, a lot of uh, kids being uh, seeming like they are accelerated or quote unquote gifted. It's really that they had a vocabulary surplus going into kindergarten. It could totally, be like up to yeah. 40,000 words because yeah. their parents read to them, with them, talked, had conversations. There's a vocabulary rich environment, and then other kids don't have that. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I'm. I just I know how loquacious your father is, and I know that your mom's a teacher, <laughs> a and I know that your your uh, yeah. environment was vocabulary rich. Yeah, I and I remember. <laughs> and I, yeah, I just imagine that contributed to you being a strong student mm-hmm. all the way up until that certain point where things fell apart or whatever. So I guess what I'm curious about, um, when it comes to you've gone from being a person who avoids challenging work um, in school to being someone who has a sticker on their laptop that says we can do hard things. <laughs> um, yeah. Where does I that guess transition happen? I Aside from the moment you saw the sticker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is by, I shout out to Subpar Parks, which is one of my favorite Instagram accounts with her amazing national park posters and um, typography. But anyhow, uh, I, I guess, um, I guess it was the right hard thing, the hard mm. thing that seemed worth it to me. Because I have Just to say, matter. I mean, I did. Uh, I was a social worker, and I'm proud of the work that I did. And a lot of people would look at, you know, I would get the people saying like, "Oh, I could never do what you do," and that kind of thing. I worked with um, marginalized women, and then later I worked in children's hospital with kids with um, epilepsy, which is probably also one area where I got some of my eventual resilience from two is that I do have epilepsy and had quite a hard time with seizures as a teenager. Mm -hmm. But, um, the, I guess, yeah, it it had to matter. And Mm -hmm. certainly when we made the decision to start Claren Academy, I knew that, uh, it could only work if I did the lifting, you know, Mm -hmm. we had the money, we had the 
resources. We certainly had the drive and the motivation, but in the end it was going to be my labor. And it was, and it has been. Um, and yeah, I think seeing the results of it, I mean, I'm the same as my kids. I want to see things happen. And mm -hmm. so what's more rewarding than, you know, in September of 2017, we opened with 11 fantastic kids from K to two whose parents were trusting us. Mm -hmm. And now we have 77 kids from K to seven. And so, you know, I work hard for sure, but I have seen rewards and my, my kids have done so well and other people's kids mm -hmm. have done so well. And we've brought this team together. I mean, I know you, you, you do not take praise well, Noah Waspy, but you know, a big motivation for me is that educators like you and Wendy Lowe and, and Tracy are, um, throwing in with us and seeing a value and being excited to bring this vision to life. And that's incredibly motivating. So as I put words, more words into your mouth, it goes back again <laughs> to the learning had to matter. Like it had to, there's like this, uh, I don't know, threshold where maybe a saddle point where the learning has to matter more than my fear of failure. Yeah, I think so. And also just um, having to fail. I mean, uh, for a person who's avoided math for my whole life, you know that a large part of my job now is spreadsheets and accounting mm -hmm. and audits and, and having to say to the auditors, like, look, I have no idea what you're mm -hmm. talking about. And making mistakes and having to tell the rest of the board of directors yeah. that I've made a mistake. And, and seeing that the world doesn't end when you make a mistake. Yeah, having to learn that you can recover from Yeah, failure. definitely. I remember um, you've probably seen those like Twitter threads where people will be like, you know, dear Microsoft intern, here's something that I did wrong in my job. Mm -hmm. And I had to tell our board of directors, who are all also extremely devoted to this vision and people that need to be shouted out as well. And hopefully we'll come on this podcast at some point. Mm -hmm. um, I had to tell them about a really big accounting payroll mistake I'd made. And I was so embarrassed and I, but I had to tell them and mm -hmm. I had to correct it. And literally they went around the table. These are all very impressive people, entrepreneurs, lawyers, accountants, um, university employees. Mm -hmm. And they all had a story that was like that. And I came to the conclusion after that, that if you, Never make mistakes and you never make people mad. You will never do anything worth doing. All right. I want to talk about three <laughs> teachers, two that you had, one that you didn't have. Um, let's start with the bad and then we'll move into the good. Can you, you don't have to name their name or anything, but can you think of like a really bad teaching experience that formed your view of school or informed your view of school? Uh, well, I don't want to, I don't want to call anybody out. I would feel free to do a conglomeration <laughs> if you need to. Uh, well, let's see. I've told you about some of the teachers I had at the Catholic school in Kentucky in early primary who were questionable, but not, I won't go all the way back to that. I would say I had a teacher. You maybe should. Um, well, that was the one where in grade, I've told you this story, in grade one in Kentucky when I didn't know what was standard, I had a teacher who would throw away kids' lunches if they were bad. Um, and I was one of her favorites because I was so good. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until years later when I told my mom, like after a few more years of school, and I was like, you know what? I've realized finally that that was not right. And my mom tried to contact that school and tell them what had been happening. Uh, but that teacher had already moved on. And so that was that's definitely a core memory for me. Mm -hmm. um, she would also tie kids to their desks with their belts if they wouldn't sit still. So, yeah, that, that, was, in, that was in Kentucky in the early 80s. But... Um, or late 80s, I guess. But anyhow, I, I guess another one that sticks out for me, I had um, I had a teacher in older elementary who was definitely an ideas person and 
I was not socially doing well in those years. Mm -hmm. I didn't fit in with the kids in my class very well just because I was such a, you know, um, bookworm and not into sports and, and didn't know how to play the power games that girls mm -hmm. play at those ages. And um, that teacher really thought that it was just me not trying hard enough. And so that, that mm -hmm. was pretty crushing for me at that point. Well, that was what more did of that a social. Look like? um, it looked like um, my mother, who's a fan, always been a fantastic advocate for me, um, let me opt out of some things that were going to be really socially challenging, like an overnight camping trip and stuff, where I was quite aware that I was going to be the kid that, you know, got her mm -hmm. glasses hidden and crap put in her sleeping bag and that kind of thing and my mom put her foot down and said this isn't part of the learning experience she doesn't need to do this bless her and mm -hmm. uh that the teacher was quite upset and just thought that sort of she was babying me and and he didn't he just he just didn't see how urgent the situation was and how much I was hurting and how dangerous it was getting for me so I guess just that and then that was a case of a teacher who figured that their ideas were great and what they were offering was was great mm -hmm. and not seeing the individual kid who wasn't being served because kids don't all fit one mold right mm -hmm. so yeah I'd say that one and then and then of course university was just a fantastic wake-up call for me because <laughs> I mean first year university was another place where I really really struggled because I went into UBC arts which again I have no idea why I went to UBC arts except that it was a prestigious school I should have gone to like a tiny liberal <laughs> arts college somewhere but anyhow um there I was in these massive lecture halls and I just remember the massive shock to my system of like nobody knew who I was nobody knew that I was a super smart kid who'd been the yearbook editor and straight A student nobody knew nobody cared um nobody had any expectations of me except that I was going to be another pain first year student. And so the professors weren't bad. They just didn't care who I was. And that was my first experience with that. And I was not set up to deal with it well. I think that going through your past experience, I think sheds a really important light on the difference between acceleration and meeting someone where they are. Um, one, the professors, that was the university that was an acceleration environment. Mm -hmm. I was only 17 when I started in first year and was not ready to be picking courses and picking a path. And I should have taken a year off. I should have mm -hmm. gone and done something cool and then come back. Well, sure. But also, like, if the university was filled with, like, teachers that mm -hmm. care about their students and meet them where they are, instead of it being focused on acceleration and earning this and that thing and yeah. this thing and that thing for magna cum laude and all that kind of jazz if it's more about that like the actual education um a lot of these problems are probably mitigated and then your teacher in school that had like this certain school culture where kids are this way and this is my idea of a good that's not meeting kids where they are that's creating a culture and making everyone like bending everyone to your will to fit that culture instead mm -hmm. of building a culture around the kids in your room. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, like again and again throughout what you've described, it's meeting kids where they are versus acceleration, but also like building an inclusive culture around kindness, which is probably one of the biggest focuses here at this school. Yeah. Aside definitely. from in addition to creativity mm -hmm. and, um, you know, the learning, the education part. So what was a good teacher or could you just, we could name a good teacher. We don't. 
<laughs> I had a few really fantastic teachers in elementary school and in high school, but there's one who really sticks out. He was very formative for me. It's like a movie plot almost. His name was Christopher Dervenside. He was the challenge English teacher at our high school. To say he was eccentric mm-hmm. doesn't even cover it. Um, you know, suspenders and big beard and <laughs> earrings. And, and this is this is Kitimat, B.C. in the 90s. Um, he was the challenge English teacher. And uh, I got put into his class. And he really did challenge me. He Mm -hmm. really, he saw a lot of potential in me for sure. Um, But he also pushed me. He was the first teacher I had who called me out when I wasn't working hard enough Mm -hmm. and said, you know, for anyone else, this is fantastic work for you. This is not good enough. You need to take it back to the drawing board. And he gave me very challenging materials. And it it was for the whole class. We had a small class. There were about 15 of us. And all of the kids in that class, we came from different backgrounds and different places, but became a real community in Driven's classroom and pushing each other and learning together and a real, you know, editing each other's work and that. He did give me strategies that I'm very grateful for to this day in terms of, um, you know, a lot of the stuff I see Wendy and, you know, Dr. Bonnie Castle doing with kids in terms of teaching them how to take notes and how to Mm -hmm. scaffold an essay. He gave me that stuff, but he also pushed me for critical thinking, pushed me to do different things. Um, And then he died when I was in grade 11. Yeah. Um, He was ill. Um, He, he had a wasting illness that none of us ever totally had the name of, but had a pretty idea of what a pretty good idea of what it was. With this teacher who passed away, um, is there anything about your experience in that classroom that you think informs the way you run your school now? Yeah, I guess just that he expected a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Um, he expected a lot. He saw who we were. He met us where we were. He challenged us. He. It was the f- one of the first times I've had a teacher who expected me to step up to what they expected of me. Mm-hmm. But that's a very circular sentence, but basically set a, set a high expectation and expected me to meet it. Whereas everyone else, I'd been the easiest kid in their class mm-hmm. academically and not one they had to worry about. Whereas he saw that while I was way past the grade requirements mm-hmm. for grade 10, I could do more and he expected me to. I think that you're outlining something that's really nuanced, but really really important in schools that like I think that you know all this talk about growth and fixed mindset it can be used as a a tool and it is more often used as a weapon like teachers telling kids you need to have a more growth mindset about the activity Mm -hmm. what this teacher did was you you definitely you were the definition the textbook definition Carol Dweck's definition of a fixed mindset mm-hmm, for Sh- sure take like you see a challenge and you're like no thank you that yep. is horrifying <laughs> <laughs> but this teacher did a, a, some of the things that she talks about in the book before you know years before she's mm-hmm. doing this research instead of treating challenge like something toxic or having like this you need to be challenged negative connotation this teacher challenged you in a way that was really positive that built you up. Like saying to someone, you know, you're really good. You could do better. You can do great things is different than saying you suck right now. Do Mm -hmm. better. Yeah. And I think that that's a really nuanced thing for a teacher to do, but also really important. I think this teacher also built community in a way that maybe subconsciously 
informs what you're doing now? Because I just see a big focus in this school on building community around you and who you are and your differences and accepting people instead of like, here's our community fit into it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I- yeah. And he, he also, um, he knocked me down a peg, which was really great. Mm-hmm. Like I, I remember, um, handing in one of the first things because I had him for a few years and handing in one of the first things I handed into him. And he was like, Oh yeah, the great Catherine Sykes, I've heard about you. Mm-hmm. Um, this essay is technically great, but it's nowhere near what you can do. And he gave it back to me, um, without a grade on it, but just something, I think he wrote like, um, this is a start or something. And I was like, a start? <laughs> like, <laughs> what are you talking about? But I mean, the, it was enough of a challenge and enough of a um, in, impetus that I mm-hmm. then wanted to meet his challenge and do what I what he could see in yeah. me. So so uh, last teacher and last thing just to get into, like, I'm, I'm just going to call it for now a time travel teacher. If you could go back in time and recreate a teacher that would have um, helped you... Um, get some shortcuts to where you are now or if you would have had a teacher that would have undone some of the barriers that were in your way as a student whether it's the social barriers whether it's the fear of challenge barriers or whether it's something else what would that teacher have done what are some things that you would have seen in that classroom I think um, again, you're not going to take this praise well, but I think if I'd had you as a teacher in grade three or grade four, I would have had a totally different path because uh, what I see with you, with your kids, is that you're always digging into the why and the purpose of doing things and the responsibility and the perspective. And your kids see you. One thing that was missing in my school career was celebrating other learners. Every teacher loved me and held me up as a real um, example of how kids should be learning. And so I never saw kids who were different learners being celebrated. And I know that with you in your class, you make, uh, you build up a culture of every kid recognizing what other kids are good at and valuing different things and figuring out who they want to work with. And that would have been a really valuable lesson for me because I just thought that I was... um, so great because I'd been told that I was and and I didn't see um the value in other people and other ways of learning and and I think that's one thing that you do really well and and really like I know you're 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 gonna combust with this praise I'm aware of that but um (laughs) dear listeners Noah Waspy is trying to melt into a pool on the ground um but all of our teachers here at Clarence Academy like the staff we have is just fantastic and they and they have ways of pulling the learning and the assessment out of the kids and they value different learners and and kids have a really high opinion of each other um you know I think every kid in the school can name something that someone else is good at accurately and in a kind way and that's hugely valuable and I didn't have that perspective so that that would have been something for me somebody who challenged me and somebody who helped me see that other styles of learning are valuable as well that makes me so uncomfortable but also thank (laughs) you (laughs) before I wrap it all up is there anything else that uh you want to say about school and what you think it could be or should be one thing that I'm really passionate about especially with my kids is giving them an idea of their responsibility 
in the world. I, I have two beautiful, healthy, smart, wonderful boys who I'm so proud of, but I'm also very aware that they're never going to lack for anything for real. They're very privileged children and will be very privileged adults. And I want to instill in them uh, as of, and their, and their dad is with me on this, um, you know, not, not a, a sense of guilt for what they have, but a sense of responsibility because they're the kind of people, they're your textbook people that are going to have to share the power in order for the power to get more equal. And so I want my boys to grow up learning how to elevate other people, learning how to see perspective, see that the starting line is different for them than for other people, and be compelled to serve and to make a difference. That's that's a really huge priority for me. And and I I think my kids are, are wonderful and I, th I think they're a work in progress. But I think that that's, I, and I say that often to parents when they come to our Claren Academy is, you know, we have a really active, really aggressive focus on kindness and service and, and community and perspective and looking outside yourself because these are very privileged kids who are being raised to be leaders in their community and to make a change. And so we want them to make the right kind of change and to see problems and solve them. And so that that's, I guess, just to get back to something that I feel a real urgency for is for kids like mine who are getting such a massive boost to do the right thing with it and to have perspective and, and to make make things better. That's where that's that's I guess what motivates me to do hard things, Noah, is that um, yeah, that they can they can have a better idea of the value of other people and how to elevate other voices and how to learn from people. Old School New School is brought to you by Claren Academy. Founded with a focus on the future, Claren Academy is devoted to education for a changing world. The music that you heard at the beginning of this episode is by me, Noah Waspy, and the incidental music you heard throughout is by Sam Clark. I want to give a big thanks to Tracy Gates for her thoughtful comments at the beginning of this episode and her insights, and I want to thank you for listening to Old School, New School. <laughs>